I hope this is just a refresher. That when a computer breaks, there's a couple things that can happen. One of the first things that can happen is it can be a hardware issue. That physically something in the computer breaks. The keyboard won't type, the screen won't turn on, the battery won't charge. That this is a hardware issue, something physical. Otherwise, in a computer, there can be software issues. That the programs that it's running, that the code that it's processing, how it's supposed to work, it's not functioning properly. And so it's not working the way it's supposed to. But it's not something physical. It's something that's a pattern. And that is where this series comes from. That when it comes to software issues, God's word has an incredible amount of powerful truth to give us. And that's where we're going to continue to speak. Tonight and after Easter, we have one last week of software update. And in each and every one of these weeks, we've been opening up a passage of God's word to learn how we deal with software issues. That in our minds, we can get stuck in negative patterns of thinking that are putting us in places and in experiences and in a way of life that we're not meant to live. That over and over again, we've told you that anxiety... This Greek word, merimnao, when it's talked about in the Bible, is addressing when we dwell on anxious thoughts. That that is where this first three weeks of the series has hammered home over and over and over again, that we as Christians are not meant to dwell on anxious thoughts. With that in mind, I have a question to ask you. Do you have siblings? Yeah, like... Most of us have siblings, like some of us were only childs and our parents messed us up in that way, but we're praying for you only children. But the rest of us normal people, we've got siblings. And what happens with that is there's this crazy thing that happens. That siblings, you can all come from the same people, be raised by the same people, and yet have so many life experiences, but be drastically different. Anybody else blown away by this idea? You can have so much the same, but be radically different humans. Like, it it is unbelievable. I'm one of four, and I'll I'll give you a a backstory into each one of my siblings, that I have an older sister, her name's Taylor, and she is just naturally an incredibly empathetic person. Me? Nope. (laughs) As your pastor, I'll admit that to you. I've worked really, really hard to get in touch with my feelings so I can get in touch with your feelings. But naturally, it's never been the way that I've rolled. That she is kind and loving right off the bat. It takes me a second to get there. My other younger brother, he just graduated from college. His name's Eli. And he has this scientific brain. Science and I, We've never gotten along. Like, from the earliest days, I never understood what was happening in science class. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. But that's just the way his mind ticks. That he graduated pre-med, he crushed his MCAT, and one day he'll make an incredible doctor. Me? Don't come seek medical advice from me. That would be a bad rap. I have another younger brother. This one's a little different. He's a middle schooler. (laughs) And he is... He's got middle school tendencies, like, come on, he's got the, he's going through the puberty stuff, and we're, my parents are dealing with that, thank God. Uh, but as he processes through that, he has this maturity and this drive as a person that I never had as a middle schooler. He just is so different than all the rest of us. And I sit back, and I think, how could we come from the same people be raised in the same home with so many of the same life experiences, yet be drastically different? that I see their gifting, I see their passions, their priorities, their skills, their wisdom, their flaws. Like, can we get an amen there? We see all of that and we're like, how? How are you like that when I'm like this? And that can be really frustrating. It can kind of grind us sometimes. And that's where our lived experience starts to meet the text today. That all across the Bible, there's these siblings that we get to meet. And tonight we're going to meet two of them. 
and its two sisters, Mary and Martha. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 10. But as you do that, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the chance to open it, to learn from it. Would your spirit speak to us through what you have written here? Pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 10, starting in verse 38 through verse 42. Here's what it says. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to make. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus responds, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here in the story, we've been introduced to two characters, and Mary and Martha are two very different sisters with very different priorities. Yet in their differences, we learn a lot about life, following Jesus, and anxiety. Over and over again, we've been wrestling with this question. How do we find peace in the midst of trouble, anxious thinking? How do we find the peace that God has promised us as Christians when this world wants to deal us so much anxiety? How do we find that? And it's so vital we do. We've talked over and over and over again about how these, this question is not going away. That we've changed what it means to be healed. Right? We understand that healing when we wake up is no longer having, not, not no longer having an anxious thought. Instead, healing becomes when we have anxious thoughts, by the word of God, we have learned a healthier way to process those. That's this, this struggle, the question, the, the answer we're begging for through this series. And I wish I could stand up here as your pastor tonight. And I wish I could tell you that I, I haven't struggled with this. That if I can be real for a second... Week one of this series, I preached this passage of Philippians 4. It's one of my favorite pieces of text in the whole Bible. And I wish I could tell you that the week after that wasn't probably the worst week I've had with anxiety in years. But the beauty of God's truth and his spirit is the very thing I preached to you, I clung to myself. That as I was hit with wave after wave of anxiety, after standing on this platform preaching to you the truth of God's peace, I felt it. And I needed prayer. I needed petition. I needed gratefulness. I needed to to reorient my mind on what was true and pure, right and noble. I needed it. Week two, Ben stood up here and he gave us this beautiful equation. And I wish I could tell you that after that message, I didn't go, go home and get stuck in a negative feedback loop and start to feel anxiety creep up. I wish I could tell you that I had it figured out, but I didn't. And I needed what Ben spoke that night. I needed to ask the question, what if? I had to respond, then I would. And I had to root it back in this truth, but God will. And all this week, as I have been prepping and praying, I have constantly, even to the moments before this service, been wrestling with what it looks like to find correct priorities and to challenge what I've currently believed. That tonight I've titled this message, The Priority of Peace, because what we're going to find is if we can get our priorities in line, then peace can follow. And so to do that, we're going to spend some time unpacking the text. We're going to answer the question, who is Martha? Then we're going to look at who is Mary, and finally we're going to understand why they matter to us. 
to do that, we're going back to verse 38. I'm going to read it to you again. Here Luke says, he says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. We're asking the question, who is Martha? And to get that, we get this first piece of information that seems really surface level. It's just her name. We understand that her name is Martha. But for us, that should unlock a whole world of information about who she is. Because in in this Western world, we kind of just pick names based on what's cool and trendy and nice. Maybe your name has meaning. Don't ask me. It doesn't. Came from a list my mom thought was cool. But in the Bible, names have power. They have a reality and they speak a truth. That even in Genesis 1, when God has created the very first man, he names him Adam. And he names him that because the Hebrew word, our Hebrew meaning for Adam is earth. And in his name, it teaches us where he came from because God formed him from earth and breathed into him life. But it also teaches us what his purpose was. That in Genesis 2.15, God told Adam to take care of the earth. That not in his name, there is power and truth. Flip over to the New Testament. That Jesus was actually a common name in the New Testament era. That it wasn't some anomaly that someone was named Jesus there. But every single time someone was named Jesus, they had this meaning behind it that meant rescuer. But for the first time in human history, and the only time in human history, there's a person named Jesus who will fulfill that name. Because when Jesus is named rescuer, he teaches us, he shows us, and he lives out the truth of why he came and what his purpose was. And Martha, her name means head of the house. And that shows an aspect of who she is and what she does. That head of the house is who Martha is. And with that information in mind, we go back to verse 38. And we see the story a little bit differently. That Jesus and his disciples were rolling through the town. And Martha comes out to the street to greet them and invite them into her home. That Martha, as the head of the house, was, her responsibility was to steward her house. To make sure everything was in order and everyone in her house was in order. And so she goes out to the town and she collects this group of people and she welcomes them into her home. And when she would do that, she would have welcomed them into food and hospitality and she would have cared for them. They would have been her responsibility. And that would have been an incredible honor for Martha. That to have Jesus, the Messiah, in your home, in your life, it would have been an incredible symbol of respect and honor and pride and privilege. Yet we forget Jesus often traveled with a whole crew of people, right? In your head, you're probably just pictured Martha went out to the town square, picked up Jesus and brought him back. No. (laughs) Martha went out. She found this huge group of people. That at the littlest amount, when it talks about Jesus and his disciples, it's talking about 13 people. At the most, Martha just welcomed 71 people into her home for supper. Like, it it should blow your mind the amount of people that she is inviting into her house. I don't know how you grew up. I know my house and what could fit in there, 70, that house would be busting at the seams. Martha's probably is a crazy chaotic house in these moments. And Luke tells us in verse 40 that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Well, duh, she's got 70 people living in her house that she is responsible to care for. As, as college students and young adults, here's how we usually do hospitality. Like someone comes over, we open the bag of pizza rolls and we throw it in the oven, right? Like, oh, that'll, they'll take care of it. Or we pull out some nasty leftovers. So it's like, ah, you could just scrape the mold off of that. And, and this is our version of hospitality, not with Martha. Her whole identity was built on hospitality. She is in the kitchen whipping up the world's best charcuterie board. She has got the system down. Think Thanksgiving. 
They've got a picture up here so you even can picture it. In Thanksgiving, like if you've ever done Thanksgiving with no holds barred, you got turkey, green bean casseroles, sweet potatoes. I don't know what that stuffing at the bottom, mashed potatoes, gravy, uh, mac and cheese. I don't, I don't know. It's got rub, like desserts, everything. The whole nine yards. You picture your Thanksgiving table. This all looks good. But before it got there, it went through a crazy kitchen. Like, have you ever stepped into there? There is a kitchen full of chaos on Thanksgiving that I want nothing to, do a, to be a part of. That there is moms running around making sure everything is finished at the right time. That it all needs to come out of the oven and be hot on this table right at the instant like people are coming in. And the whole time dads are cutting things with turkey and they're like, they probably shouldn't be cutting it because they're not really qualified to use the electric blade. But they're still cutting it and there's babies crying and there's dogs running around and it's craziness on Thanksgiving so it looks like that. I haven't even mentioned that when companies pulling up, do you guys do the frantic clean like I do the frantic clean? You get the Swiffer out and you're just like running around and everything's getting dusted. It's not actually clean, but stuff's getting shoved in closets and it's getting kicked under tables. This is Martha. And that all happens when Aunt Karen is coming over. Like, imagine when Jesus, the savior of the world, is coming to eat in your home. In that moment, Luke says, she was distracted. I'll give you another word. I think Mary was busy. And Martha, or I think Martha was busy. Martha was distracted and she was busy with all the things she was supposed to do. It's who she was as a person. And all while that's going on, you can see her start to peer into the living room and she sees her younger sister Mary just chilling. Like she is running around going all kinds of places a thousand miles an hour and every time she passes by the living room she takes a peep in and she sees Mary just sitting there again and again and again. You know how frustrating that would be? That every single time you're doing that she's just chilling. And in verse 40 Martha gets fed up and she storms into the living room and she starts to yell at Jesus. (laughs) Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You ever had that moment? (laughs) When the group project needed to get done and there is that one bump on a log, am I right? We've been there. The, the work project needs to get done and the coworker that you can't stand got put on it. Like for me growing up, let's tie it back into siblings. Growing up, I had chores lists. Maybe you had chores lists. I swear that system was rigged. Like my younger brother, he always got taken out the trash. He literally had to grab two trash cans and put them in the garage. I always somehow got stuck with vacuuming. I am a type three on the Enneagram. That is my number. I am an achiever. And so when I vacuum, I am vacuuming people. I'm not missing any dust. I'm going all in. And so he has taken out the trash and has proceeded to put his butt back on the couch to watch the cartoons that I want to watch. And here I am just making it to the upper level to start to vacuum. You know how frustrating that is? How hard that is to continuously do that? I understand why Martha blew up at Jesus. What I don't understand is how Jesus addressed her struggle. In verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. The ESV translation says you are anxious and upset about many things. That that word there, worried or anxious, it's the word we've been circling this whole series. It's that word merimnao. That Jesus is confronting her on the negative thinking that she's gotten stuck in. 
that she's dealing with anxiety because she's dwelling on anxious thoughts. <laughs> to put it in more my lingo, Mary is all up in her feelings. And she's sitting in the kitchen, frustrated, as she keeps grinding, keeps working, keeps cleaning, keeps cooking. And the whole time she sees them out there just chilling, just hanging out, just talking, having a good time. They're probably laughing as she stirs and cooks and sweats and cleans. And she's thinking, they don't care. They don't care that I'm in here. They don't care about the work I'm doing. They don't love me. He's chosen Mary. She's always been better than me. She's always gotten it right. People have always liked her. Why am I even here? Nobody notices. Nobody cares. That's that negative spiral we keep talking about. And it's happening right now before our eyes in Martha's life. And Jesus calls her on it. And he tells her, and, this, and he shows her that distraction and busyness led her to frustration which left her upset and anxious. All the while, the story here juxtaposes Martha right next to Mary. And it's so beautiful because we have to ask the question then, who is Mary? And in verse 39, it'll tell us. It said, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That when I started to answer the question, who was Martha, I needed to start with her name. We'll do the same with Mary. Mary, her name means rebellious one. <laughs> Fitting, right? If you're a Mary out there, sorry. That's what the Bible's teaching me. <laughs> but it means rebellious one. That's who she is. Don't forget the, the sweat, the tears, the pain that Martha is putting in in the kitchen while she just sits there. She just sits at the feet of Jesus. Just hanging out. And for us, that probably doesn't do anything, right? Because it's like, okay, I get it. She's maybe being lazy. But is it really that big of a deal? But the first century audience in which Luke would have wrote this to, what Mar Mary is doing would have shocked them. Because women in that culture were not allowed to sit where Mary was sitting. That women were allowed to go to the temple, but never as far as men. Women were allowed to listen from a rabbi and to hear his teaching, but never as close or as, as, as prominently as men were. That as the men sat in the front, the women were, in, were told to sit in the back on stairs or stools. That this is the way it was. Not the way it should be, but the way it was. And all while that's happening, Mary has come and sat right at the feet of Jesus and in our Western world, we think, ew, feet, gross, like dirty floor, uncomfortable. Mary has chosen the VIP section, and Jesus lets her choose it. That imagine here at Oasis, it goes like this. When you walked in, imagine we sex segregated you, right? All the females, when you walked in, you were told you must stand in the back. Don't sit in the chair, but stand in the back. But all the males, feel free to come forward. You can all fill up the front section and we, we, I will teach to you. And if the women happen to see it, that's fine. Like they, they're a byproduct. They're just hanging out in the back. But all the men, that's who I'm teaching to. Imagine that's what happened at Oasis. But then one woman from the back, imagine she came up to the front and she sat right here. How would you describe that? Brave and rebellious. 
And Mary, in a simple act, has started to defy the very culture she's a part of. And it is rebellious. And Jesus lets her do it. He encourages it. And he teaches her. The reason this is so important is because that space up at the front, right next to the teacher's feet, that space was reserved for the teacher's disciples. And men were the only people in this culture that were allowed to be disciples. But in Jesus letting Mary sit there, he allows her to be a disciple. And he ascribes her an incredible amount of worth and value and equality to the same men that are in the room. That Mary, her name means the rebellious one. And she shows that as she sits at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. And then Martha storms in. That there's this beautiful thing happening where Mary is learning in a way that nobody else around her would have gotten to. And and Martha storms in and she starts chewing them both out. She lays into them. She starts yelling across the room. She's probably interrupted the teaching all to just get her point across. But remember Jesus' response. It shocks me again and again. Verse 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want to read it to you in the ESV translation. It says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion And it will not be taken away from her. Martha has just screamed at her Lord and Savior. And Jesus responds with Martha, Martha. This morning Steve was teaching how in this Greek language there wasn't like, there wasn't punctuation like we have today. So typically if we really wanted to emphasize something we would have put it in all caps or put an exclamation point and it would have drove the point home. But they didn't have that. And so when Jesus wanted to drive a point home, he repeated it. And what he wants to drive home is he wants to talk to Martha. He wants her to see him. And he says, Martha, Martha. But he doesn't just do it to get a point across. When he says it in that way with the inflection that he does, he shows this empathetic heart of a savior who who blows my mind. I often, if you were to come in and scream at me, I'm not responding like Jesus did. But he gets yelled at, and he turns around with empathy and love. That when Martha was overwhelmed, frustrated, and anxious, Jesus addressed her tenderly. Because that's who he is. And we're comparing that, all of this struggle with Martha and her anxiety and her feelings and, and what she is, we're comparing that with the example of Mary. Because Mary had her priorities right, and she chose Jesus above everything else. There are four Gospels in the Bible. The Gospels are the books that tell the life story of Jesus. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only Gospel that has chosen to include this story. And so when I was trying to figure out why, I was drawn back to who Luke was as an author. That Luke was a doctor. And what we know about him then was he was incredibly analytical, very strategic, and unbelievably wise. And so Luke, out of all four of them, he's the only one that chose to put this story in here. That he took these real people and their real experience and he's the only one who included it. Why? Maybe it was because we were meant to learn from them as people. 
that he thought it was so important, he actually sandwiched it between two of the most popular pieces of scripture he wrote. That he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's told in in churches all over the world constantly about the Good Samaritan. And then we jump over and we start to teach that next passage about the Lord's Prayer. Heard of that? And there's these two huge mammoth pillars of text that Luke has put in his scripture. Right in between them is five verses that he has placed there strategically. As if to say, when you're at that mountaintop of the epitome of everything I want to teach you, I want you to see this too. That scholars actually believe chronologically this story isn't where it's supposed to be. That if you were to reorganize it as you follow Jesus' life, Luke has moved the story of Mary and Martha so that it sits right here. He wants us to learn. He desperately longs for us to know that Martha was anxious while Mary had peace. We're meant to learn from that. So I'm going to recap the story one last time, but I'm going to do it a little different. Remember Martha, she was distracted by all the preparations that had to get made. But I want to ask you, are those things bad? Right, she's serving people, loving them, caring for them, cooking and cleaning, making sure they're well cared for. Is is that bad? Is that supposed to be our takeaway as we read this from Luke 10? That we're just not supposed to care for people, not supposed to cook and clean? That culturally... We know, based on her name and who she was, that this was what she was supposed to do. Yet people like me, we stand up here and we preach this message and we paint Martha as the bad character. We say stuff like, "Ah, I don't get it. How could Martha be so obsessed with cooking and cleaning that she would miss the very savior of the entire world who sits in her living room? How could she be so dumb? How could she be so ignorant? How could she do that? But we miss out on Jesus all the time. We do it all of the time. And I hope we come with some grace for Martha tonight. That we can relate to her, to understand her a little bit. Because to us, Jesus is available all the time. That right now, as you sit in this room, Jesus is available to you. That as you go tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that, Jesus is available to you. And what he wants is your attention. But the problem is, so does everything else. Right? If we were going to role play it in a day, we often wake up with really good intentions. That we're going to spend time with Jesus today. And when we wake up, we have to roll over and turn off our alarm on our phone. And as we turn off the alarm on our phone, we start to read the emails that we get from work. And so we, st- we pop out of bed because already we're jumping into it. And as we start to get dressed, we run to the sock drawer. And the sock drawer is empty because we haven't done laundry in months. And all of a sudden, we finally get some clean socks or some slightly clean socks. And we run into the kitchen and we start to cook breakfast, but we don't have any silverware because we still haven't done dishes. And all the while, we're remembering, ah, I have a project due at 11. And I, I need to get that done right now, but I got a test in the afternoon that I was going to go study over lunch, but now this friend wants to get together and they want to study with me and and I don't study well with people, so i got to study now. And all of a sudden, we keep running this and then we check our phone and that friend is texting us and as we're on our phone, we might as well check social media and we've started to run our day and we start to think, ah, I really, really wanted to work out today and physical fitness is really important and I start to do life. But then we remember, oh, I actually wanted to spend time with Jesus this morning. But we found we're busy. 
And so we substitute language that just says, I'll get to it later. And we come home and we're tired. And the laundry still needs to get done. And the dishes still are there. And friends still need us. And homework is piled up. And we're busy. But are those things bad? That culturally, it's what we're supposed to do. We've been taught to study hard, to go to college, to get a job, to work hard, to socialize, to post, to be fit, to enjoy life, to travel. This is what we're supposed to do. If I don't do these things, my life won't be worth it. And we start to run the race and climb the ladder. And none of that is necessarily bad. But we get busy. We get distracted. And we find that the good things start to take away from the one thing. And that's time with Jesus. Then we get to the end of the week and we look back and we had really good intentions to read our Bible, but it just never happened. And we get to the end of a month and we look back and, and I really wanted to spend more time in prayer this month, but I, don't, I just don't know where the time went. And we get to the end of the semester and I really wanted to participate in a small group, but I, I honestly don't know. Like things just got busy and we get to the end of the summer and we really wanted to get plugged into a local church and consistently go on Sundays, but I don't know what happened. It just got busy. I just found myself distracted. All the while, we get into this vicious cycle that the busyness drives us to a place of anxiety. The distraction leaves us upset. But maybe, maybe you haven't been there. But maybe you have. And when you open your calendar, the anxiety starts to bubble up. That when you get the syllabus at the start of the semester, the only thing you can think of is, is the anxiety of what that semester is going to be full of. That when you get to work, you see the to-do list that you have to accomplish. And the problem ceases to really become the actual tasks Instead, the problem becomes the anxiety we feel about the tasks. We're overwhelmed, distracted, busy, and we're missing out on Jesus. That as Christians, our peace comes from Jesus. And we find that we miss out on the one thing that can give us true peace. And that leaves us overwhelmed, upset, and anxious. The last thing I want to talk about is this other emotion that Martha feels. That when she's full of anxiety and distraction and she's upset, it leads her to this place of frustration. And I find we're often frustrated a lot. That maybe you're frustrated with yourself. And you're just asking the questions like, why can't I keep up? What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why do I feel this way? Why am I filled with anxiety? And we get into the spiral and we start to relate to Martha in the kitchen as she looks at other people and they don't seem to be struggling. They figured it out. They're climbing the ladder. They're running the race. What's wrong with me? Don't buy those lies. Start to ask a question like this. What's really important? That if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write this down or journal it in your phone or something. What is really important? It seems simple, but I want you to write that out sometime soon. And when you write it out, don't write out what you want it to be. Write out what it is. 
And if you don't know, open your phone. Check your calendar. Open your bank account. Check where your money goes. Schedule out a day. Where does your time go? And now what's really important? Scripture teaches in Matthew 22 the greatest commandments. And they're meant to be our priorities as Christians. That we are to love God with all of who we are. And then the second thing Jesus says is we are meant to love others like ourselves. And right there I see three priorities. That you are meant to love God first and foremost. That as a Christian, that is where you are supposed to invest your time, your money, and your energy. That is your priority. Next, you're supposed to love people. Relationships. And in those relationships and with people, you're meant to love yourself. And sometimes the second and the third one, they can flip around depending on what you need. Hear that tonight. That it's not always about giving. You can't give if you don't have anything. So some of us, we need to take a step back and start to love ourselves. Scripture teaches that. That's the greatest commandment. Everything else, school, work, travel, all that this life wants us to believe, it all falls after that. And Martha got the list backwards. She started to serve people and she forgot she was missing out on God. And when the list gets reoriented in a way that's not biblical, it leaves us anxious. Once you have this list, let it drive your life. To start to orient your time, your energy, your schedule around those things. The last place I often find that we feel frustrated is we feel frustrated with God. And if you're at that place tonight, I want you to key in on what Martha says in verse 40. She just asks a really raw question when she says, Lord, don't you care? The rawness, the vulnerability, the realness of that. That she would step up and look her Savior in the face and straight up say, don't you care? Some of us, we need some of that rawness. That right now you are drowning in school. And you are falling behind and the deadlines are coming and everything is crashing in. And you just need to get to this place of rawness that you're frustrated with God. And you, it's okay to ask him, Lord, don't you care? To some of us, we're at work and it is awful and terrible. And our coworkers and our boss and our projects, they are crushing us. And we need to get real and ask the question, Lord, don't you care? That maybe a family member, a friend, or someone in this room, you have gotten a sickness. You've been diagnosed, and you are wrestling with it, and you don't know if it's okay to bring all of what you're feeling to God. Bring it. Ask him, Lord, don't you care that you have lost someone, a family member, someone you love, someone who was a huge part of, oh, someone who was a huge part of your life, and it is okay to ask the question, Lord, don't you care? Because when we're honest... It lets Jesus be honest too. And I come back to his response. And I see Martha, Martha. And I picture my name there. Oh, I'm losing it. I'm sorry. I picture my name there. And it blows me away. That I can bring this rawness, this vulnerability, this anger, this frustration to God. 
And look at how he tenderly responds to his children. In this story, we have two sisters, Martha and Mary. And the band can come up. And they want very different things. And they have very different priorities. And one left them overwhelmed, upset, and anxious. The other one found peace because their priority was rightly aligned with who Jesus was. That there is an incredible difference we can make tonight if we will answer this question, what's important? And we will start to live in the way God has designed us. With that, let me pray. Father, thank you tonight for the chance to open your word and to learn from the story of Mary and Martha that these two sisters had this back and forth conversation and in five verses, God, you want to teach us something 2,000 years later and by your spirit, I ask that you would. That tonight this wouldn't just be a text we hear, a sermon we listen to, something we attended and, and we checked off the religious box, but God, this would be a moment that forms us deep on the inside and we start to wrestle with our priorities and if we can get it right, God, there is peace to follow. Thank you for that promise. Would you lead your people in that way? In Jesus' name, amen.